0: Welcome everybody, happy Wednesday. For those of you who who were here last month, you know we're actually working our way through a series, but no worries, I'll catch up in an instant. In fact, I'll I'll give you the briefest of uh, recaps of last month. Last month, we talked about how we can use God's infinite love to improve our own relationships here on the planet Earth. We don't have to uh, muddle our way through things, we can use clues from the way that God loves us. Since the title of the book is Love and Law, you might guess then that this month we're gonna talk about law. And it's true, we are. And I think the best place to uh, start might be to figure out, well, what does law mean in the context of spirituality? What is this thing that we call spiritual law or spiritual principles? And I think an awfully good place to start would just be a quote from this book. This is from Ernest Holmes in Love and Law. He says, So know that you are a center of God consciousness, and that is why your word is infinite. Speak it forth, believing and never doubt it. You know, you just believe, and then you speak forth this word, knowing that it annuls anything which may oppose it. Then, go about your business in a normal sort of way, being careful and watching how you think. Your thoughts will become things. Nothing is left to chance in this universe. Everything is working by the perfect law of cause and effect. So the law we're talking about this month is the law of cause and effect. And Ernest Holmes there uh, said, thoughts become things. If you look in the New Testament, you'll discover Jesus says, it is done unto you as you believe. All the great seers, all the great philosophers throughout history have had this idea that before we see something out in the physical world that there is the archetype of it there is that internal mental equivalent of it that happens first and so the law of cause and effect in its broadest sense teaches us that if we want to see a visible demonstration of well of anything really whether it be love or whether it be a great job whether it be abundance whether it be a harmony in our families, if we want to see those on the outside, the place to start is on the inside. The place to start is right here in our own thinking, that if we think thoughts of joy and love, then surely we will start seeing evidence of it in our lives. Okay, so that's the idea of law. My talk title today is Breaking the Law. Now you might say to yourself, wait a minute, we're going to break the law? Well, I've hardly got the hang of using it yet. And and I think that's actually where I'm headed. Because there are some times in my own life when the law just doesn't seem to be working. (laughs) This spiritual law, right? Here I am, a, a science of mind minister, my gosh, I've been standing up here on Sundays for gosh I think it's like seven years now something like that and yet is my life in perfect order do I have the the perfect uh, realizations of love in my life and harmony in my family and you may have noticed although I drove up in a new car it wasn't a Porsche (laughs) so so there's a ways to go in my own use of this law and I gotta tell you now and then I would flatly if I weren't pretty steeped in this tradition of new thought, come to the conclusion that it just doesn't work very well. (laughs) Well, I've also come to a new conclusion recently. The reason it doesn't always work is because I'm always breaking the darn thing. And, when I break the law, and of course, you might say to yourself, well, if this is a spiritual law, you can't, you can't really break it. I mean, you're always gonna be using it. So maybe a better way of saying that I'm breaking a law is that I'm not using it very well, <coughs> that I'm kinda of going at it a little bit haywire now and there. I wanna share a couple in particular cases with you all, and I think you'll identify with them, but I think a better place to start actually is with a joke. So, uh, this joke is about breaking the law. A couple's pulled over by the police, and the driver rolls down his window. The officer asks, uh, or excuse me, the fellow asks, what's the problem, officer? Well, you were going at least 75 miles an hour in a 55-mile zone. The man replies, really? Uh, I'm pretty sure I was just doing 62, maybe 63. Don't be silly, says his wife, leaning over. You know you were doing 80. <laughs> well, the man gives his wife a dirty look. And then the policeman says, I also need to give you a ticket for that broken taillight. Broken taillight, oh my gosh, I didn't know about that. But his wife pipes up again. Oh, Harry, you know that light's been out for months now. <laughs> the man gives his wife another dirty look. Peeking down a little further into the car, the policeman notices one other thing. I'm gonna give you a citation for not wearing your seatbelt. Officer, I just took it off when you were walking up to the car so that we could speak more freely. Once again, the wife, what a thing to say, sweetie, you never wear your seatbelt. Keep your trap shut, says the man, really angry. And the policeman leans over into the car, faces the woman and says, ma'am, does your husband always speak so disrespectfully to you? Well, no, officer, only when he's drunk. (laughs) Uh -uh. Cause and effect. You know, I think that this idea of cause and effect might even be at work in a joke like that. Can we really get around cause and effect? I don't think so. But I do wanna share with you some ways that I use it poorly in ways which seems to me that either it's broken or I'm broken. First of all, I gotta tell you, now and then I think I'm using it backwards. Do you ever find yourself trying desperately to stop, to change, to modify or initiate the things in the world? Do you know what I mean? Whether it be trying to, to forcibly stop people in your lives from misbehaving. And you might think I'm talking about children, but actually I was thinking of coworkers. <laughs> do you ever find yourself just wanting to physically go out and do things that will make a difference in, in your life? Well, of course you do. I think it's pretty natural that you want to have a physical role, an active role in changing things. The trouble with this, though, the trouble with this is, it's a little bit like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Have you ever heard that statement before? Because if you attack things from the purely physical level, right, what will happen is you may fix that one issue. But what brought about that problem to begin with? If we believe in the law of cause and effect, we will know it's something in our thinking that originally brought that circumstance out in our life. And if we patch up the thing, have we changed our thinking any? You know, I was counseling a young woman last year about uh, about a job that she really hated that she was in, and we talked about it for some time and, and and tried to go over well, what is it that she likes about a job, and what is it that she didn't like about the job that was that she was in. And we talked, and in particular, I got an idea of, of what she wanted out of a job, which was more than just a salary, more than just benefits. Truly, she was wanting to feel valued and valuable. She was wanting that sense of really participate in life, and that her particular strengths were, were being brought up. And she said, she proceeded to tell me how she'd been in three or four different jobs where this just wasn't the case. And she was wondering if she ought to switch jobs again. Do you see the trouble with switching jobs? It may solve the immediate issue of the particular job you're in right now is gone, right? You get a fresh start, but do you get a fresh start? See, my thinking around this whole issue as she described all of these jobs was that she was finding ever another in a series of jobs where she'd be treated badly. There is something about us, something about our thinking that will tend to repeat itself unless we see to the thinking first and the outside influences second. Likewise, you'll talk about people moving across the globe or across the country to get a fresh start or a, a new way of being. You'll, you'll hear people uh, uh, switching partners to, to, to find the true love of their life. And in all of these cases, I would suggest, first of all, it's not a bad idea, right? If you're in an abusive relationship, let's get out of it. If your job is terrible, let's move on. But... If we don't change our own ability, our own threshold for having a good job, our own, our own ideas around a great relationship, our own uh, structural mental activity, our mental equivalent, if you will, around what's good in our life, if we don't increase that, if we don't raise that, if we don't change that, my theory, and I think it, it is a good one because it absolutely is cause and effect, it says I'll bring another effect just like the last one. I'll bring another job just like the last one. I'll bring another relationship just like the last one. And so when I find myself moving around, reorganizing uh, my life on the outside, it is such a call for me to look inward. That's the first way I think that I break the law of cause and effect. It's when I start dealing with the effects of life as though I think it's going to really make a difference in the end. Short term, it may. Short term, you might get out of some hot water. Short term, you might find yourself in better circumstances. But long term, if we do not change our basic thinking, we'll just be there again in a different deck chair on the Titanic. The other thing that I think that I do, um, that I break uh, the law, if you will, or, uh, or I violate the law, is that I think one idea is gonna make a difference. Now, ultimately, I suppose one idea does make a difference, but I think of a single idea, right? L- the law of cause and effect. If we have an idea, it's gonna have a, a physical effect out in the world. But I think of a single idea as kind of like a cherry that's going to go on top of a sundae. Now think about it. You can just get the nicest, ripest, loveliest cherry and put it on top of a sundae. But what about what's underneath it? The cherry really doesn't just sit there by its own, right? What if the ice cream is 20 years old? What if it's a flavor you don't like? What if the day is too hot? What if you don't even like ice cream? You like the cherry, but what about the rest of it? And that I think is the other place where I tend to break, if you will, or not use very well the law of cause and effect, because it is working on all of my ideas, all of the the ice cream stuff that's underneath this cherry that I want to put on top of it. Maybe I have just the most beautiful idea of abundance or love in my life, and I and I build such a lovely mental equivalent about it. I, I picture it in my head how the how a, a loving relationship might look like. You know what what we would say to each other, how it would how it would be to spend uh, maybe Sunday afternoon with a loved one that where everything is honored and joyous and you know i have this lovely idea just summarized in a beautiful mental equivalent on my mind and i think there phew i can just release that and the law of cause and effect will take care of it what about all my other thoughts what about coming from a, a marriage that I witnessed as a child that didn't work out very well? What about some of the other relationships that I've had personally that didn't work out so well? What about my beliefs around the statistics that one out of three marriages fail? What, what about all of the, the heartache and trouble I see on TV around relationships? What about some of my early ideas of listening to my parents kind of fight about money and other issues? Do you think that somehow by putting this beautiful cherry on the top of all that, that I'm gonna have an instant manifestation of a, a beautiful life of love and joy? Gosh, I wish it were true. But you know what? Equally, all of those thoughts are at work. Equally, all of my beliefs, all of my thoughts, all of my thought patterns are active in the law of cause and effect. And if I wanna put this beautiful new cherry, this new idea, this new way of being, if this is what I wish to have active in my life, I gotta do something about the rest of the stuff that's in there. I uh, brought along an exercise that I did in a financial freedom class about 10 years ago and I wanted to share it with you. Um, The idea is it's one of those kind of two column exercises and uh, the thesis for this particular exercise is what are the thoughts and beliefs that I have about being financially free and abundant? And then there are two columns underneath. One column is, the beliefs I have in support of that, in support of financial freedom and abundance in my life. And then the other column was in opposition to what thoughts and beliefs that I have right now, well, or right then, I should say, when I did this, uh, were in opposition to it. And I just wanted to share a few with them. Well, first of all, you'll notice one of the columns uh, is a little bit longer than the other one. And I have to confess, I had quite a few beliefs in opposition to it. Listen to them. Money causes trouble. Remember I mentioned my parents fighting over money when I was a kid, right? Money causes trouble. Uh, The idea that very few people are financially free. Actually, that's not only just an idea, but what 80% of the wealth of the world is in 1% of the population. So maybe it's not crazy to think that very few people are financially free. I had the idea that making money can be a gamble, excuse me, a gamble. Money's hard to come by. Also, an idea that often money equals corruption, that when I see some of the corruption out in the world, it seems like the motivation in there is money. Those were just some of the thoughts I had about 10 years ago or so, uh, in opposition to me becoming financially free. Now, now you might say to yourself, well, why would those ideas keep you from it? And I would answer to you, well, psychologically, do I want to become something that has all of that negative connotations with it? You see how it works. One of the things also I had on here was the idea that maybe rich people are, there's something kind of hinky about rich people, right? <laughs> that maybe we can't entirely trust them or maybe they're a little bit above the the rest of people, a little snooty or something. Would I wanna become that? Do you see how these thoughts can limit me? And now I wanna spend just a moment talking about the ones on the support side. Now, again, this was, uh, I don't know, at least 10 years ago. Um, One of the things I put on the plus side was a belief that I'll always have enough money a belief that if I work hard, I can always get ahead, and a belief that, if I, succeed, that I will always succeed if I can just put my mind to it. I wanna even look at those for a minute. I'll always have enough money. On the surface, that sounds nice, but just enough money? I mean, the word just wasn't in there, but it was kinda, wasn't it? I'll always have enough money. What if I want to have plenty of money? And another one I had on the plus side was, if I work hard, I can always get ahead. Well, what if I don't want to work hard? I mean, that was fine when I was 20, maybe. (laughs) Now that I'm a little older, I might like to sit back and still get ahead. (laughs) Do you see how even the things I had in my plus column had me boxed up? In kind of a place, a a threshold, if you will. I'll only earn so that I have enough, but not wildly more than enough. I'll always be sufficient, but not luxuriant. And to get there, I'll have to work hard. Well, I'm here to tell you, we can do something about these beliefs. And in fact, we need to. Because if all I'm simply going to do is add a belief on the top of it, that says Larry should be financially free and abundant, I still have all these things down here percolating in that law of cause and effect that's apt to bring me what I don't want to experience. So how do we deal with these old ideas? How do we deal with ideas that uh, that don't serve us anymore? You know, sometimes we glibly just say to forget them. Sometimes we say to ourselves, well, I'll just believe this new thing and the old thing will fade away. Psychologists tell us that this is not true, that those old thoughts are there and they're active until, until we show ourselves that they aren't active anymore for us. It's sort of that prove it idea almost in a psychological way. And so what I would suggest to you all, if you find yourself stuck, if you find yourself breaking this law by, uh, by resisting your new ideas with your old ones, is to actually write them down. Actually write down what you think about any given topic, whether you wanna work on a greater love life, whether you wanna work on more abundance, whether you wanna find your family in a, in a position of more harmony or a job that's more successful. I say what you want to experience should go on the top and then make your list out and then on the side that's in opposition to it, let's look at them one by one. You can ask yourself some pertinent questions like, does this have to be true for me? It may be that 80% of the world's wealth is in 1% of the population. Does that mean I can't be one of that 1%? Do you know what I mean? Why would I vote myself in with the lower part of the scale? (laughs) Why not vote myself in with the successful people on the planet, right? So ask yourself, do these things have to be true for you? Ask yourself, are they even true at all? Some of them I don't think are true at all. For instance, the idea that uh, uh, if I work hard, I'll get ahead. The other thing about the world's monetary supply, another one of those 80% things, 80% of the world's money is not tied up in labor. 80% of the world's money is tied up in passive forms of income. In real estate holdings, in stocks and bonds, 80% of the world's wealth has nothing to do with digging ditches and showing up on a job 9 to 5. That isn't to say that one doesn't have skill to work in financial markets. Well, of course, one does. But by the sweat of one's brow, mm -mm, that's not even where most of the world's money is. So as I go down my list, as one by one, I look at these old beliefs and say, wait a minute, is this even true? Does this have to be true for me? Does it have to be true for me now? Is there another way of looking at this? What my goal is to rephrase some of these same beliefs and move them to the other side of the chart. Turn something that before was standing against what you wanna see in your life and instead, by rephrasing it, by ref, uh, reframing it, have it work for you instead. Maybe you can begin having affirmations, something along the lines of, uh, I'm part of the 1% that holds most of the money on the planet. Just see what I mean? Do you see how we've taken something that would have been on the side against us? Like, well, how am I ever gonna become rich? Instead, we associate ourselves on the other side of the equation. Rather than thinking in in, in my own case earlier about uh, loving relationships going haywire because of the arguing that I witnessed as a child and other things, instead I can say there's no reason that I shall not have the most loving relationship on the planet, right? I don't have to be like my parents. Uh, You know, when I turned 16, I realized I didn't have to be like my parents. So why would I think that about myself would be like my parents? No reason, just habit. And when I look at the ideas head on, I can make a new habit. I can make a new system of belief. So do we ever break the law of cause and effect? I don't think so. And I would suggest that the idea of breaking that law is merely us using it unskillfully. It's us thinking that we can just put in one new idea into this sea of ideas that we have about any given topic, put in one new idea, and that somehow magically without any effort, that'll take care of it. (laughs) That, I think, is breaking the law (laughs) because we're not understanding how to use it. Or, on the other hand, uh, breaking the law can be the idea of, uh, of having our causes and effects mixed up. It can be thinking that we're supposed to be working out in the physical world to get things done, when in reality, if we want to see more love, we have to become more love first. That if we want to see more wealth, if we want to see more abundance on the planet, if we want to be able to receive more, We have to feel more, we have to be more ourselves. We have to be open to the idea of luxury before we can really experience it. We have to be open to a new way of thinking about greater love in our lives if we're not going to let it pass us by. So how do we break those ceilings? How do we break out of the boxes that are our beliefs set? By changing one belief at a time by literally doing an inventory, and you know, of course, I am one to assign homework, so I I do hold up my little uh, two-column chart here, just for fun. Uh, If you're willing to do some homework this month, I would suggest take an area in your own life where you wanna make some progress, whether it be a loving relationship, whether you want it to be a powerful and exciting job, uh, whether you wanna be uh, whatever it is. You allow your own dream to be what's on the top, and then take a look at your actual beliefs around that particular subject. If you want a powerful new job, what do you believe about getting jobs? Do you believe maybe that you're too old or too young for a great job? Do you maybe believe that uh, Oregon's a bad job market right now? Do you believe that, I don't know, that women will get paid less or that, um, uh, that, that a man's better suited to that job or whatever it is, whatever you think that your beliefs are around a given topic, Just put them on the chart, see what side they fall on, and then recognize that this is the material going into the law of cause and effect. If you wanna change the outside of your life, we have to change the inside. I'm gonna close today with a quote, uh, another quote from Love and Law and of course a prayer. Here's what Ernest Holmes says. We have discovered that we love, excuse me, we have discovered that we live and move and have our being in what we call the infinite mind. It is an infinite creative mind. And we have learned that this mind presses against us on all sides. It flows through us and it becomes operative creatively through our thinking. Your thoughts become things. All thought is law and and all law is mind in action. The word that you speak today is the law which shall govern your life tomorrow. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one life and one love, one goodness of spirit. I call this thing God, but of course it goes by many names throughout the world. But there is only one. Just that one thing that encompasses all. Just that one mind that our own minds are part of. And what I know about this God, about this infinite mind, is that it uses the creative power of its own intellect as though it were a law, a creative law of cause and effect. And I know that this law is effective in my own life, that the thoughts that I have become things. And as it is true for me, without question, I know it is true for each person in this room that each of us has that ability to pick and choose, to analyze, to suggest and improve our own thinking, so that that raw fuel that we put into the law of cause and effect will direct it towards our dreams, will allow us to realize that which we truly desire, and whether that is more love, more health, more life more joy. Whatever our heart's desire is, it will be so. That is the promise of the ages. That is the promise of Jesus, the master teacher of Ernest Holmes, of so many other saints and sages, that it is done unto us as we believe. I'm simply grateful for this knowledge of how it works. I'm grateful for the presence of God showing up in my life through the power of my own thinking and the power of my own heart. In gratitude, I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here tonight. Thanks so much for being here.